monthly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket. We are in episode number 22, and I am really, really excited to have our guest on this week. Uh, But before we get to our guest, uh, we of course have to go through a couple of things. First of all, we want to recognize our longtime sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, which is located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive, which is just off of 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at COSAC Chiro, that's K O S A K C H I R O.com, or give them a call at 402 Be sure to tell them that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Uh, we try to put out daily coaching tidbits on a pen and a napkin, so be sure to follow us there. Uh, if you're listening, obviously you're on SoundCloud or iTunes. Follow us, rate, review, subscribe, uh, forward it out to your friends, your neighbors, your loved ones, the dog, the cat, the whatever you want to forward it out to. Uh, but we just want to help out as many coaches as we can and help them hone their craft. Uh, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any suggestions, email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us, and we will do our best to address it in our future pods. Um, truly, truly, truly excited. I've been holding off on this one because I know, A, we're probably going to be on here for a while, and B, I knew it was going to be a lot of fun. Uh only behind Chad Angel is he the greatest legend in the history of Iowa State women's basketball camps. Uh, my old camping roommate, Tony Viss from Cedar Rapids Kennedy High School. Mr. Viss, how are you this fine afternoon? I'm doing well, Marty. Um, I put myself definitely behind both you and Chad as far as legends at Iowa State camp. Um, you guys playing in at night, probably one of the highlights of that camp. And, uh, you know, helping out with, with uh, decorating Bixler's trucks is some great memories uh, back, you know, 20-plus years ago. Oh, it is. Uh, you know, Tony, it's it's funny how the world and the universe works. Uh, if it wasn't for all that stuff, you and I probably would have never met. Uh, we, we would never have the friendship that we've had for 20-plus years. Uh, one of uh, one of the best impromptu decisions I ever made was going down there and somehow or another you know these two idiots ended up together and, and roomed together for a few summers and and uh yes there were there were various uh things committed after the sun went down that no one really needs to know about but that is true <laughs> but we will just keep that to ourselves until the statute of limitations runs its uh runs its course so uh uh but no, um, just truly thankful to have you in my life. You know, we we don't talk as much as we we probably should, but every time we do talk, it's like we, you know, it, it's it's been like yesterday since we talked. So I'm really looking forward to today. Um, it, it's going to be a lot of fun here. So um, uh, Cedar Rapids, uh, Kennedy, uh, now, uh, but uh, you know, starting at Walnut Ridge to Hudson to Audubon to Harlan, all the way up to Cedar Rapids, Kennedy. Uh, you're kind of like, uh, the little kid on the family circus that just kind of just wanders around and, oh, where's Tony at now? He's climbing here. He's climbing there. Uh, but a great career, 341 wins, 170 losses, four state tournament appearances. Uh, just, uh, one of the top notch coaches in the state of Iowa. So, uh, Tony, just, uh, as we always usually start out here, uh, just a little bit of background on yourself, uh, kind of where you went, how you got there, what, where, you know, uh, how, how are you at Cedar Rapids Kennedy today? 
Yeah, um, you know, when I first started off, I got a job at parochial school at Walnut Ridge, and it was kind of funny because it wasn't the job that I applied for. And, uh, you know, spent some time there. I really enjoyed it a lot. I ran across some great young people there and parents and stuff and kind of helped shape uh, who I am today. And then after we ended up at Walnut Ridge for a while, uh, then we ended up just going down the road. I still taught at Walnut Ridge, they coached in Hudson. And to be honest with you, those are probably my best coaching memories happened in Hudson, Iowa. Um, just with the, the kids and the parents and the way that they, they were together. You know, we just had great culture. Um, really enjoyed my time there. You know, it was, uh, Walnut Ridge was dwindling in enrollment. And so we made the trek out to Western Iowa. I uh, spent a couple seasons in Audubon. And then, uh, got a call one day from Mitch Osborne, uh, the AD boys basketball coach at, at Harlan. He said, Hey, we'd like to talk to you about our girls basketball job here. And I uh, spent seven years there as well. Uh, enjoyed my time there. We went to a couple state tournaments with them. Um, you know, wanted to spend a conference title out there. Just had a great experience. and learned a lot about basketball, watching Mitch and how he set up a program. You know, there's mm-hmm. a reason why the guy has been to the state tournament. I want to say 17 times. It might be more than that. I know he's won 700 games. Just uh, eclipsed that milestone this week as well. And then my wife's parents weren't doing very well health-wise. Uh, and so... Cedar Rapids Kennedy job open and uh, wanted to have, let her have an opportunity to go back and to be closer to them because we were two and a half plus hours away out, out in Harlan. And so uh, we came to Kennedy, uh, was the head coach there for six years, um, and then went to uh, took a year off, we basically went to Mount Vernon and helped uh, a couple friends there, assisted both the boys and the girls for a year. And then um, at Kennedy, John McCowan, who's the boys coach, he does a fantastic job. Uh, he started talking to me about would I be interested in joining his program. Uh, their sophomore coach ended up going to Missouri uh, to be one of the guys on the strength and conditioning staff there. And so this year I've been coaching sophomore boys and, and having a blast with it really. Um, you know, when he came to me, he's like, hey, you teach sophomores, right? With world history. He's like, yeah. How would you like to coach them? And uh, <laughs> you know, it's been really kind of a nice, a nice connection there with them as well. And so uh, really enjoying that this season. And, uh, you know, just enjoying learning from him. Uh, he does a phenomenal job. Uh, he actually has co- coached a guy that's in the NBA right now, Sonny Ojale, who plays for okay. Celtics when he was in Ottawa, Kansas. Okay. And, uh, yeah, he went, I can't remember, it was six or seven straight years uh, his program has made the state tournament. And wow. So, uh, he, yeah, one of those guys you can coach with and he gives you responsibility. And uh, you also, you know, when I sit down and listen to him in a huddle or watch him run a practice, almost like a mini coaching clinic. And so it's been been a good move for him. Good, good. Were you a little worried that 45 minutes in sophomore world history was enough, that you weren't sure if you wanted to spend another two hours with him? <laughs> you know, uh, I was wondering when I, when I took it, because I, I have a, probably a half dozen or so of, of the guys in class. We had uh, 30-some guys on the team, and we, I had, like I said, about a half dozen of them in class. And, uh, you know, I was trying to figure out who played basketball, who did early on. And, uh, you know, it, it really has been – really has been fun. I try to keep the two separate as far as, you know, different things go, but it's been nice from time to time if you need to have a conversation, you need to, you know, uh, give them give a handout for a scouting report or something. Those guys can kind of get theirs first and it filters throughout the day. But, uh, you know, just a different way to speak in our life. Um, you know, another opportunity there, a little bit different avenue, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a different perspective that you can have with them, you know, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's a good thing. So, what... Uh, mm-hmm. 
So, you know, I, I know we have a lot of coaches that listen to this and they're at various levels of their career. You're, uh, you know, you, you went through a process, as you said, you know, you, you started out at a really, really small school in Walnut Ridge to a little bit bigger school to a little bit bigger school. And now you're at a, a 5A in, in Iowa. You were head coach at a 5A for, for quite a while. Uh, what do you think uh, were the keys for you uh, to make those steps up the ladder for, for those that are, are looking to follow a, a, a similar career path, or if that's, you know, if that's the one that they're on, you know, if, if you're at a 1A school, how do you get up to a 2A school or, or whatever it may be? You know, how did you go about that? You know, early on, uh, as far as things went, it was just really outworking people. Uh, we talked a lot about, you know, the fact that great teams are made from November to March, and then great players are made from March to November. And so we put a lot of time in the summer trying to catch up because early on, um, you know, Walnut Ridge was kind of a rebuilder. Hudson was kind of a rebuilder and stuff like that. And so we worked really, really hard in the summer. And uh, that caught us up quite a bit as far as, you know, gaining, making those gains in the summer. Um, you know, and just had really good kids and, you know, was able to, you know, build relationships with them. And so I think that's one of the things as a coach that you can kind of connect on that personal level with them, we'll go run through a wall for you. It really, really helps because one of the things I pride myself on wherever we've gone is the fact that, hey, his teams play the hardest out of anybody in the conference. And so that was something else, just making sure that we're building those relationships, you know, with the kids and developing the right culture and things like that. And then the other thing, too, you know, if we want them to, to get better, you know, put in the time and get better at aircraft, we as coaches also. And I think, you know, Marty, in terms of what you do with the Bennett and Atkins, you know, you really cover the whole gauntlet, whether it's books, because you can read different books that will help you develop culture and mentality and stuff like that. You know, you go through with those quotes and things. I know you know, some people, ah, what's the big deal with the quote? I know Frank Howell, I respect the heck out of every practice, he starts off with a quote. And when I took over for him in Audubon, um, you know, I didn't do that as much. We might have like a theme for the week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of those kids admitted they missed his daily quotes that he did with them. And then on top of that, you know, you've had guys on, you know, it was Kirk Walker or Dick Jungers or Kelly Flynn or people like that. And you've got to stay involved in your craft because the game of basketball has changed a lot. And if you're still running, you know, kind of the old 20 years ago stuff, it's a different game now. And not that that style can't be successful. Mm-hmm. You've got to keep up with the trends and things like that as well. But those would be the probably the three biggest things. Just make sure, you know, the summer program, you have to be careful because you want to balance it out. Let them be a kid too. But you can build some of those team building stuff into the summer type of thing. It doesn't have to be just a daily workouts and camps and stuff like that. Um, you know, and then make sure you really focus on your culture. I didn't really know how important that was and probably until about a handful of years ago just how important culture is. And I heard somebody say that culture each X those with breakfast and I would 100% back that, that up. Mm-hmm. Just make sure as a coach you're a lifelong learner, clinics, books, quotes, but you're doing stuff to try to get yourself better so you can improve your players as well. Do you? Uh, and by the way, I appreciate the uh, plug for a pen and a napkin. That uh, I appreciate that. You know, one of the things I've known Kelly for, oh gosh, twenty five years probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually went up there and watched his team play last night. And uh, he was really gracious. He let me hang out before, dur- you know, before, during, and after the game with the team and stuff like that. But when we did that, when we did that roundtable um, uh, pod a couple of weeks ago. Um, he literally, we were talking about drills and stuff and he pulls out a, he pulls out a napkin and he starts writing stuff down with a pen. 
you know, right in the middle of this. I'm like, God, this is a guy that's won 10, 11 stages, whatever the number is. He's won uh, 500 plus games, all this other stuff. And, and he's still wanting to learn, you know. And, and that was a side of him that I had, as, as long as I had known him, I'd never really seen that in action before. And, and that that really, I thought that was a, a really cool thing to see, you know. And, and you know, it, it was a, it was a, it was an eye opener for me that, you know, this guy's still got the fire in the belly, you know. And, mm-hmm. and, and I think you're right that you do have to, to continue to evolve. Do you think, kind of about evolving, you know, uh, you know, you, you have moved around a lot for various reasons. Um, but do you think those moves um, kept you fresh? Yeah, I, I do. Uh, one of my big influences in coaching is Tony DiCecco, who used to coach at UNI oh, 15 or so years ago. Um, and one of the things that he and I we were talking about, because when I was in Hudson um, and then Audubon King Collin, he talked about when he was at Montezuma, he felt like he stayed at Montezuma too long. And he encouraged me, he goes, I'll be honest with you, I had to do it over again. Maybe every six, eight, ten years, I would make a move to keep it fresh. And so, you know, that really, that really registered with me because, you know, out of the different coaches that I've been around, from a fundamental standpoint, there's nobody that's impacted me more so than, than Tony D. Uh-huh. Um, I, 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 think, I think you're right with that. I, I think, um, you know, Finley and I were talking about that um, and one, you know, we were talking about how he's on his 25th year at Iowa State, and and mm-hmm. you know, I, I was like, you know, that's just so amazing, especially now that I'm further down the road in my career that that you know you're at one place at at one for for that long, and, and he, you know, he said, you know, I don't think this will ever happen again. You know, um, I, I just don't see it happening again, and and I and I do think that um, there there is something to. Uh, you know, every six to 10 years looking to, to move on and do something else or not do something else, but move on to a different place. Uh, I, I think Bill called it, there's a stink to you after about seven yeah. or eight years, you know, um, yeah. which makes sense. Don't you think? It, it does. You know, and, and Bill's another one in terms, you know, obviously we know him from camp and different things, but he's another one that in terms of impact on me, just talking through like X knows and what he does. I mean, he's unbelievable offensive coach. He might be uh, one of the most brilliant offensive minds I've been around in the game of basketball, just how he gets his system and changes to fit his players and different things. But yeah, I agree. You know, there becomes a thing where they get used to you, so to speak. And, you know, I don't know if you want to use the word stink or whatever, but yeah. And so if you can kind of keep moving a little bit, it keeps you uncomfortable. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because, Absolutely not. you know, sometimes if you're somewhere too long, and I'm not saying this is what happened to Bill Gates, but you kind of begin to rest in your laurels uh-huh. and maybe you don't develop as much as, as what you need to and should. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would agree 100% with that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, looking back on, on my situation, you know, it, it may be, maybe I, I, I you know, because I, you know, it, maybe it was just it was just time to, to do that, you know, and and to, to step away. And, and it's been really good stepping away. Um, you know, it, it's getting kind of harder to, to scratch the itch of, of to not to do it, you know. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think looking back on it, maybe it would have been more positive after year eight uh to maybe mm-hmm. look at something else you know I, i'm not sure i mean you know shoulda coulda woulda i know it's, it's not a huge yeah. regret or anything like that but you know there there's something there's something to it i think you know um you know in hindsight's always 2020 sure you know, as far as things go um 
you know, I've had different ones that have asked me because when I left Harlan to go to, to Kennedy, you know, Harlan is up three straight years in the finals. So like, do you think, you know, do you, do you miss that part of it? And there's one of those things where I don't think you look back at life with regrets because I think everything happens for a reason, you know, in terms of shaping us who we're supposed to be and different things like that. You know, do I wish I sat on the bench for three, three straight state finals? Yeah, I, I do. But at the same time, you know, uh, I didn't wish those kids ill. Those kids, have, you know, we, we moved up. When we moved away, that we're back. And we knew there was a lot of talent there and that something big was ready to happen. And so, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful and glad that those kids had those experiences. Well, and especially, like you said, uh, with Rita's parents being sick, you had to make a, a human move as well, you know. And, and so there were there were more important things than sitting on the bench with some teenagers you know, when it came to that move as well. I mean, it was a positive professional move, but it was also, you had to, to look at the big picture of your life and your marriage and everything like that too. So, um, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I agree with you there. So, um, what I'm kind of curious here, you know, and, and again, everything has evolved. Um, but what are, what are some similarities and what are some differences between coaching at the Walnut Ridges and the Hudson's uh, compared to the Harlands and the uh, and the Cedar Rapids Kennedys, um, you know we'll 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 let Audubon sit in the middle, just kind of all by itself, you know, um, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, you know, let's let's go with similarities. You know, what what did you find uh, in common with, like I said, with with Walnut Ridge and 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 Hudson compared to to a Harlan and uh, and a CR Kennedy? Um, you know, wherever we've gone, we've, we've fortunately have run across really good kids. And I would say that was true at all of the places that we've been to. We've come across really good kids. We've come across kids that, you know, have a passion for basketball, that are good players, um, you know, and, and are very coachable. That was one of the things where, when we went in, you know, sometimes it would be a big stylistic change. Sometimes it would be little small stylistic changes and stuff like that. Um, but they were very, very coachable. Um, they, they picked up, you know, the, the system, they picked up the philosophy, they picked up that stuff very, very easily. Um, they bought into the, you know, being fundamentally sound and, and, you know, just making sure that we rep fundamentals every single day. Um, and it wasn't just about scrimmaging five on five for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so those side of things were good. Um, you know, and then the other thing that they, that they did as well is every place that we went to, they bought into the importance of playing hard. You know, they really bought into the fact that, hey, you know, there are two things we can control. We can control our attitude and effort, and they had phenomenal attitudes, and they played really, really hard. And because of that, we don't have success, you know, at different locations. Mm-hmm. What were some of the big differences? You know, as you go up, you become responsible for more. You know, like at Kennedy, we had 40-some, 50-some kids out for basketball. Um, Harlan, it was probably 30-some kids out for basketball, and so you become responsible for a little bit more. I mean, some places, you know, like Walnut Ridge and different ones like that, maybe 15 to 20 kids, if you're lucky, um, yeah. you become responsible for more. And so with that, you you kind of take more, I don't necessarily say a manager type role, but it's one of those things where you preside over a program rather than, hey, we've got a varsity and we have a JV. Now we have a varsity with a JV, we have a sophomore, and we have a freshman team. Mm-hmm. And so you become a little bit more responsible for that. Um, you know, at Kennedy, they would do like team posters, they would do team meals. Um, you know, we have different fundraisers that we would do to try to, you know, raise money for the program so that you could get, you know, extra side hoops because of the number issues 
Um, you, know, you would do different things to make sure that you're adding to your program. Um, you know, we had, a, you know, I'm sure you guys have as well. Uh, we had a huddle program, so you yeah. had to make sure you had games uploaded on that. At Walmart and some of the others, you know, you had to go out and scout. I mean, I remember, you know, getting in my own vehicle or a school vehicle and driving 30 minutes to an hour and a half or whatever and spending, you know, a couple nights uh, on, a, on a monthly basis or, or bi-weekly basis getting an opposing team's gym, pen and paper, and you're, you're scouting that way. Yeah, yeah. You, you very rarely, I, I know um, in my last few years, I very rarely, if ever, went out and live scout. You know, mm-hmm. uh, because you you didn't have to with with the, with the huddle or, or even just the you could burn a DVD in three minutes and put it in the mail and send it to somebody. I mean, that's kind of where we were at ten or twelve years ago, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, but I was I was more of I want to get home, hang out. You know, especially when my kids were younger, uh, I want to spend time yeah. with them, and then after they go to bed at nine thirty, then I'll stay up till eleven thirty, breaking down some film or something like that. You know, uh, but mm-hmm. that that was that was uh, huddle has been a wonderful thing uh, uh, for the gas mileage of every school district in America. So yeah, yeah, uh, I'm guessing you know. It's fairly pricey, but at the same time, I'm guessing you're probably saving some money, like you're saying, gas money and wear and tear on school vehicles and things like that. So, yeah, I think Huddle was worth its weight in gold. Yeah, yeah. So how long how long were you a head coach altogether before you stepped away? Um, let's see. We were three at Walnut Ridge. I did four at Hudson, um, two there in Audubon. So that gets me to nine. Nine. I believe it was at... Uh, you said seven at Harlan. Harlan for seven, so that's 16, and then I did six at uh, Kennedy, so 22 years, yep. Okay, so that's two history teachers doing math, and we both came up with 22. So <laughs> we're, we're pre- pretty pretty safe, pretty safe, that's where we ended up at. So uh, so, so you did this for, for 22 years straight, and, and you and I are kind of on the, on the, on the same, uh, same wavelength, where we did this for a long time without any breaks, mm-hmm. And then we both basically stepped away at the same time. Uh, you know, and, and yours was, uh, you know, you had an incident, and I don't want to relitigate that and, and go through all that stuff. But, but you know, you, you know, we talked about that. We, you know, we had a couple of conversations over the phone about it. But, you know, you know what, what, was, what was the, the, the impetus to it, to it all? I mean, um, you know, you, you had this tough situation after a game with a parent and, and, and so forth and so on. Um, and it just broke my heart when I saw the, the article in the papers, like, how could anybody do something like that to a classy guy like you? I mean, it was just crazy. But, uh, you know, what else, you know, was there was there other stuff that went into it? You know, how much of that has been a, a really positive thing for you? You know, that type of thing. Yeah, um you know, it just, it hit a point, uh, we, were, we were probably third week of January, and, you know, like we were talking about, you know, before we, we started recording this, you know, you hit those January blues, and it just got to the point where I was like, I don't know if this is worth it, I'm not having fun, to be honest with you, I don't know if, if the players are really having that much fun either, um, I had lost control of the culture, and so, you know, it came down at the end of the year, and my, my daughter was a junior, and, uh, one of those things where the year before she had suffered three concussions and different things and so you're, you're kind of walking through that battling that with her your, your culture's bad you're not when, fun. You, like, you know when you 
when you say that, when you say lost control of the culture, what did you mean? What do you mean by that? Um, it's just one of those things where uh, we we had a, a situation where there were several that um, I guess I would kind of describe as negative, and I'm kind of a pusher as a coach and trying to get you to to you know push you to the level that I think you can get to and different things like that. I don't think my coaching style and their their uh, I don't want to say it their work ethic. Yeah, work ethic. We're the same. There we go. Work ethic's really good. Okay. And so they kind of bristled at that a little bit. And so, um, you know, they had kind of, you know, misery attracts misery at times. And it kind of pulled each other together and attracted each other in different things. And so we had kind of lost control of that. I don't know if many were really having fun either because of that. Um, and so at the end of the year, I was like, you know what? Um, I just don't know if it's worth it. And my, my daughter said she wasn't having fun, wanted to go play elsewhere. And so... I stepped down, and then she went and played her senior year at a town about 20, 25 minutes away from, from Cedar Rapids, Mount Vernon, and I helped there for a season as assistant. Like I said earlier, both of the boys and the girls, and that really kind of sparked a fire again a little bit just because, you know, you, you get a step away from all the impetus of being a head coach and having your hand in this, that, and the other, and worrying about X, Y, and Z. And, you know, it was really more about, you know, just kind of why I got into basketball, racing with the kids. Yeah. And so... You know, joke around, be more of a good cop, if you will. Yeah. And so, really, really enjoyed that side of things with it. And like I said, it kind of, kind of found the joy of coaching again. Do you feel like maybe you were uh, spread too thin? Because I know I felt that way. Yeah, you know, I really do. Um, you know, I'm one of those people where uh, I want it done and I want it done well. And sometimes, if if I don't feel like it's being done well, I'll take more of the responsibility on myself. And so just spread too thin and then you find yourself because you're spread too thin, maybe reacting more in impatience rather than patience and kindness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yeah, there's kind of a, a, a bad cycle there. Yeah. A kind of a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, again, we, you know, we just said a few minutes ago, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, looking back on those last couple of years at Kennedy, and, and I'm sure you've probably thought about this, uh, what would, you know, just to help other coaches out who may be feeling that same way that, that you and I felt, uh, what are one, two, three things that you maybe would have done differently um, in that in that situation that if you could go, if you could hop in the DeLorean and crank up the flex capacitor to 1.21 gigawatts, you know, um, what would you have done differently? You know, I had, I had, uh, two good, really good assistant coaches. And what I probably should have done with them is give them more responsibility, whether that was breaking down film, you know, so they didn't have to do as much, whether that was giving them uh, more responsibility in practice. Say you're going to be in charge of, you know, press, press break tonight. You've got, you know, when we take the defensive emphasis and we do shell, why don't you go ahead and lead shell tonight, and I'll just kind of be, I'll just kind of be your assistant, where you tell me what you need to do, or I can kind of watch, you know, and, and, and visit with the kids more on the side, and give them, hey, here's what he's looking for, here, type of thing. Um, I should have, I should have been a little bit more uh, willing to fight for my culture, a little bit more maybe than what I was. I was a big John Gordon fan, mm -hmm. um, you know, energy bus, training camp, you know, uh, positive locker room, different things like that. I, I should have, should have felt stronger with that and you know when it is needed to um you know i felt at times maybe i was too flexible on some some things some non-negotiables and maybe should have just you know instead of instead of fishing probably should have cut bait with a couple of them and uh you know went that direction with it but you know just be 
studying a little bit more because we would do like book studies when we had late practice. We'd come in and, and take a look at a book study of the John Gordon book and stuff. And then we'd watch film for 20, 25 minutes. And then we would hop in the gym and be ready to go through a practice off of that. And, you know, maybe just a little bit more intentional with my culture and, and different things there and having, um, you know, maybe more one-on-one individual meetings mm-hmm. and uh, even more accountability. I think those would probably be the big steps that I should have done, you know, with, with looking back at it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're, you're, you're into, uh, you're into the role of as a, as a, uh, I can't talk all of a sudden into the role as an assistant coach. <laughs> um, and obviously much different than being a head coach, you know, what, uh, what adjustment, uh, what adjustments did you have to go through from being a head coach to, to now being an assistant? Um, you know, the, the thing is kind of kind of fun, and I still have a team. I got, you know, I'm the head sophomore coach, and so that that's my group that I'm primarily responsible with. And then on the bench in the varsity games, you know, I sit uh, about halfway down the bench, and then when the guys come by, just making sure I'm saying something positive to them as they come out. Hey, great hustle, way to swing the ball, make that extra pass. You know, just make sure they hear something positive when they come out of the game. Um, you know, and, and offer a little bit of advice here and there um, during during timeouts and, and things, just kind of reminding the head coach, hey, you have this many timeouts, you know, we have this many team fouls, you know, just little things like that. So he has that, you know, on the forefront of his mind. And then at halftime, a lot of times, as we walk down the hall to the, to the team room or whatever the case may be, it's a situation of, you know, hey, what are you seeing? And so just making sure in a quick sound bite, so it's not like a five, ten minute ongoing discussion. Where I thought <laughs> You're getting out charts okay. and stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, making sure that it's a little bit more sound biased because he's got other really good assistant coaches. He's had two guys that's been with him at least six, seven, six, seven years um, that, that probably could have stepped off and been head coaches on their own, but but you know they love the role that they have at Kennedy and they do a fantastic job with it. And so they, you know, just making sure that I'm fitting in with the staff and not not you know the one that makes all the decisions and have have all that there. And then um, you know the other thing is. You know, just a different role of being a good cop now. You know, I, for the varsity guys, um, you know, I don't really ever have very many negative things to say to them, you know, as far as correction and stuff like that. And my role completely with them is the good cop role. Mm-hmm. Kind of like being a grandpa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of like we were talking about earlier. <laughs> Spoil, give them back, or if they have one of those things. Yeah, it's kind of like being a grandpa. And that, you know, and, you know, I think at times that's that's where – you know, some of the kids see me kind of as more of that, you know, grandpa-type figure, if you will. You know what that means, Tony? Getting old. You're yeah. old. We're, we're, we're both getting old. <laughs> so Not the young guys at, the, at camp anymore. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, this podcast will be sponsored by AARP pretty soon here, so... <laughs> <laughs> prescription drug ad. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, like I might have Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders or somebody like that pitching because <laughs> they know it's the audience they're speaking to, you know, or something. You know. Oh geez. Oh boy. Um, well, it, do you think? Uh, do you think you try to be uh, as an assistant coach uh, the assistant coach you would have wanted to have as a head coach? Yeah, you know, I really do. Uh, that, you know, one of the things, I got really good assistant coaches wherever I've gone. You know, when I was at Walnut Ridge, it was Diana Coyle. Uh, when I went to Hudson, she came with me as well. And then one of my former players um, at Walnut Ridge joined our staff at Hudson as well. And then out in Ottoman, I had Kim Subert. He was phenomenal. 
Um, I had Mark Cohor, Sue Fowler, and Harlan, and then um, Joe Benedict, Ethan Dennis were a couple that hacked, um, and Cedar Rapids Kennedy. And, you know, one of the things I did is I was making the transition over. Um, Joe and I teach in the social studies department at Kennedy. is just talk a little bit to Joe about, hey, I'm getting ready to put on a new hat. What are things that, that you could help me with? And so one of the conversations he had was you know, about being the assistant coach that you would have wanted. And Joe, in a lot of ways, was that guy. And so, you know, there are times when I, I look at my role and it's like, hey, what did Joe do for me here? Mm-hmm. And so that, that's a lot of, a lot of times what I run through my mind before I, I share my two cents or, or do whatever. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. That's good stuff. Um, we're going to transition here, Tony. We're going to go uh, into the Don Meyer quote of the day. And, you know, what's that? The goat? The goat. The goat. Yeah, yeah. Um, So here is, and and it's been really weird as I've picked these out. It it, uh, it is so many times fit the person that uh, I end up talking to. And um, when when I I saw this quote and I knew you were coming on, I thought this this fits you perfectly. So uh, the Don Meyer quote of the day. It's not where you coach, it's why you coach. And, and I, I think that fits you to a T. You know, we you know, John Gordon said that people don't burn out, they forget their why. And, uh, you know, I think that that's awesome with, with Don Meyer there because, you know, it's not where, it's why. And another one that I heard that was similar to that, Mitch Osborne, who I mentioned earlier from Harlan, you know, he always talked about make it big time where you're at. Don't always look for that next best job or whatever make it big time where you're at. And, you know, he has made, he has made it big time where he's been at at Harlan for a long time. Yeah. Well, let's get into some, let's get into some X's and O's here, buddy. Uh, okay. We got, uh, let's go, uh, let's talk about your half court defense. You know, I saw your teams play a couple of times when you were over here in, in, in Western Iowa. Um, and I was able to, to head out here from Omaha, uh, and your, your, your defensive principles were so sound, so fundamental. Um, you know, kind of explain, uh, your defensive philosophy, uh, how you implement it, uh, why you think that way, so forth and so on. Um, you know, it has changed over the years, you know, when I was in, in Harlan, um, we gave a lot of defensive looks, whether it was full court or half court man, uh, we would junk you. Uh, it was kind of one of those things where, in a way, and it's probably a bad analogy, I looked at it like a baseball pitcher. I didn't, you know, if I had a good fastball, I didn't want to get comfortable with my fastball, so every once in a while I would throw a curveball at you just to keep you off balance. And so we would, we would give, like, different looks and, and stuff as far as defenses went and that, that went along with that. And now, with going over the boys' side of things, um, John has a defense that he calls zero, and he'll, he'll call double zero when he wants it in the full court. But it is crazy. I mean, it, it's one of those things where um, you know, you're switching pretty much everything. Um, you know, if somebody has penetration, you might have somebody come run up at the ball to pick them up and attack the ball handler. And the person that was having the ball has to naturally flow to the players, the person that, that came up to get theirs. And so it, it is a helter-skelter. It keeps you off balance. And we have run, this season on the sophomore boys level, we have run our zero defense. And we started off with our five, which you can't switch in five. But we wanted to give them that so that they would learn to you know, get through screens. Screens are not an excuse type of thing. So that when we went to zero, it, it, you know, it made it a little bit easier transition. Because we felt like if we started with zero, they would get used to switching everything and maybe it wouldn't work as hard. Mm-hmm. But with five, where you're going to fight through every screen, 
it just really, really works. We probably have played our zero defense since Christmas 90 plus percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we haven't shown as many different looks as we have in the past, um, but it, it, it's just one of those things where not many people run this defense, and it's really, really hard to imitate it. And so it's just one of those things where you go in and you basically get this goofy defense and you have to adjust to it. So if you're a pattern offensive team, it really doesn't allow that a whole lot. And so it's, you know, it's just, it's been, it's been kind of fun to run and learn at the same time. And so, you know, like kids will ask me questions and stuff. And so early on, as we were teaching that, we had to bring John down and uh, he was down with us for two, three days and really, really helped the kids to kind of get a grasp and understand it. They've done a nice job of running it here since the beginning of January. Uh, I'm assuming you're getting out and like in your, in your half court zero, you're you're really denying hard, taking away passing lanes, that type of stuff. If you're switching out that hard, yeah, um, and you know, and sometimes depending upon different things, if the guy receives the pass as he has his dribble, the guys that are in the lanes make it one kind of a pack line look for a second. Mm-hmm. But when he puts it on the floor, depending upon if he's getting past that initial defender, they will come spring up and attack him right away. And so then, like I was talking about earlier, you have that natural flow type of deal now. If they're not getting penetration, you know, our guy on there is doing a really good job of pressing the ball. They might do a stab in back where they stab at him, get him to kind of hesitate. Yeah. Then they go out and get in that passing lane real quick. And it's one of those things where if you're a team who does a lot of screenaways, this really throws you for a loop. Because when you pass it to a wing and you go to screen and you're thinking that guy's going to come up top open because you set a solid screen and we switch it, our guy's going to jump that passing lane. And we've got... I don't know, probably two, three, four uncontested layups a game off of that. Yeah. Um, has has there been anything in particular, you know, on the flip side of that, that has given you trouble with that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, slip screens are really, really kind of tough if you don't mess it and communicate. That does give us trouble. The other thing is with switching it as much as we do, sometimes our, our, our post guy might end up on the point guard. Sometimes our point guard might end up on the post. And so we've got a few different things. You know, again, going back to it, if, if you're going to try to take our post off the bounce, that's fine, but you better be ready because we're going to come run at with our point guard. We'll front your post and put a lot of help on the back side there just in case you're trying to force it inside. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, oh, let's see here. What, uh, well, if we're going to talk about pressure defense, let's talk about breaking pressure defense um what's uh you know what's uh you know how do you how did you handle and how do you still handle uh teams that get up and and pressure you in the full court and and attack you uh in that manner we end up um if there's somebody on the ball it's a full court press we go three wide and so we'll put usually have our four guy that'll inbound it and then um you know, as the game has changed, it seems like you put more ball handlers on the floor than maybe what you did 10, 15, 20 years ago or whatever. Yeah. And so we usually have um, two really good guards that can handle it. And then our, our other guy that's out there isn't bad either. I'm not saying that they're, you know, they don't throw it to them type of thing, but they might be the initial guy that's trying to set the screen and then get them up the floor. But we try to spread you out with three wide, and then we try to cut you in the middle as we get the ball to the outside. So we're going to get our first cut's going to go through, and then approximately 15, 20 feet behind them, the second cut will happen. And most teams are usually able to take away that first cut, and then yeah. that second cut opens up because of that. And if we can't get you on that, 
we'll throw it back to the founder, run some other cuts out of that on the other side of the floor, and then throw the ball up the floor on you. But we spread you out real quick, cut you, you know, run the cuts through the middle, and then off a of ball reversal, we get you down the floor a little bit further and then just pass ahead. And then we have our five, what we call the dunker position. And so our goal is to try to get a guy going downhill, whether that gets us into a two-on-one, three-on-two type of thing, and then make their post guy make a decision to either jump and try to stop our, our guy going down the floor so we can drop it off. And then, you know, you just want to make sure if you press us, 70% of the time we want to make you pay for press them. Mm-hmm. If, if something ever happens to me, I, I give you full permission to rename your dunker position the Marty Plum position based on my game. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Because it's you. <laughs> very, very, very similar to that. So, um, I know I think <laughs> that's, that's so stupid. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, diagonal cuts. I think, don't you think that's the hardest thing to defend in the full court? Most definitely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because we'll run another one where if they are in an even front press and somebody's not on the ball. So like a 2-2-1? Two, two, one. One, yeah, 2-2-1 two, two, or 2-1-2. Two, two, we line up in a 1-2 formation. And so whichever guy receives it up front, the guy's opposite in the half court flashes to the middle of the floor on a 45 cut. And we've hit that a decent amount of time, but what usually happens is that causes the defense to constrict and make a change. And so if we reverse the ball, that guy that flashed is now going to pop out to the sideline mm-hmm. and throw it to them. If the guy that caught the inbound pass now makes a diagonal cut through the middle, and we've gotten that a lot. Mm-hmm. And so we've had teams that once they try to pressure us, and we did, you know, we did them a couple times on that, press usually, they might keep it on for like five minutes, but usually after about five minutes, it's gone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like that. And and you have to teach patience with that, don't you, yeah. Tony? You know, yeah. from, from the offensive side of things. Yeah, that's, that's probably one of the harder things to teach, Marty, and I would 100% agree with that. You know, with, with young guys, like, you know, the other night we were up 12 in the fourth quarter, ended up winning by one. And so I rode back with my wife on the way home. That was good coaching, and, uh, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know how to, you know, peel away a 10-point lead or a 12-point lead real quick. But anyway, um, and so I was talking to her about, I'm like, I can't believe, you know, they start off, they had two threes, and then they get an ant or a three opportunity. And then, you know, we just began to shoot threes real quick. And she's like, Tony, they're 15 and 16 years old. We just don't, 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 don't make sense right now. They're three with me. <laughs> and so, you know, just, just talking through that, you know, just understanding the patience at 15 and 16 maybe not there and they're still learning the game. And that's the thing that, I, you know, we, we try to play about 12 guys every game. And so my philosophy there, not that we don't want to win the game, but my philosophy is more I want to develop as many guys as I can. So as they go on to whether it's JV or varsity next year, you know, they're able to play and they understand the game better than what they did coming into the season. Yeah. You're giving them a chance to have a chance, as many guys as possible. Yeah. yeah. As many as possible. Absolutely. Um, how do you, uh, you know, how long, uh, how often do you work on that press break stuff? Do you, do you see, let me ask you this, do you see more or less pressure coaching uh, when you're coaching guys as opposed to coaching girls? I actually have seen less this year. Uh-huh. And then I would say the same was true last year in Mount Vernon 
with the you know being an assistant for both the girls and the boys there, I would say it was I would say that was true there as well. And I don't know if it's because like with with guys just you know a little bit physically stronger, able to make that pass down the floor a little bit easier. If that's why it is, or you know, or whatever the case may be, but I have seen less pressure with guys and I have girls. But we work on our on our stuff. Press press break. Um, we work on that some form of it every single practice. Mm-hmm. You know, whether we're going a three quarter court trap or whether we're going with our double zero full court defense or whatever the case may be. So we just call it press press break. And so we'll give it like three four minutes. You're in press break, and if you're going to be um, the pressers, you can play offense if you steal it, and then probably about halfway through, okay, I'll say, okay, now you can play offense if you steal it and you rebound, and then at that three, four minute mark, we'll flip it, and so they'll flip roles, and now the pressers become the press breakers, and so on and so forth, but yeah, every night in practice, just the way we play, we try to play really, really fast, and so we just want to make sure that they're getting that rep in each and every time, and so the other night, we're playing, and we've seen zone uh, maybe five or ten minutes the entire year. Wow. And we saw Zone for probably 20-plus minutes the other night, and it threw us for a loop for a while. Mm-hmm. Is that just a, I don't know, would would, would macho-ness be, be a, a, a word to use? Or, you know, probably at the lower levels, if, if you have a good varsity coach, you're probably really emphasizing the man-to-man concepts and you know hey we need our guys to be able to play man at the next level and 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 so forth and so on uh but even at your varsity level you've seen very little zone when when you've helped out with the varsity games yeah um, we probably because um our coach loves to switch defenses up he has a multitude of varsity coach loves to change defense has a multitude of defenses and so he'll run what he calls 20 sometimes and so the two and 20 stands for two passes so we're going to give you a two three zone look for two passes after the second pass, we then go to our zero defense. Mm-hmm. My sophomore guys, that would have went over their head. I'm a lot <laughs> a long time ago. So we, we don't do that one. Um, but we probably have shown the most zone out of any team in the league um, this season. Wow. Wow. Because I've noticed and that. I would agree, buddy. What's that? I would agree that, that some of it is, you know, that, that monstrous, hey, man, you know, we might have got beat, but we played hard. Our man-to-man defense, we got after, we played hard, we played physical. I think that's a part of it. But the bigger issue is this. In the league, um, or the Mississippi Valley is what, what Kennedy's in, It's a, I think a lot of it, it's not just like high school, it's college, it's the NBA. It's a copycat deal. Uh-huh. And the teams in our league that have gone on to win state titles, Iowa City West, the Cedar Falls, and schools like that, they have played man-to-man. Uh-huh. And so everybody else, the other... I think there's 16 teams in the league. The other team, because of that's a copycat league, hey, West played man, Cedar Falls played man, we're playing man. Yeah. I, I always I always get, um, as, as a spectator, I, I always get frustrated from a philosophical point of view. You're watching a, a, a men's game, and, and whatever it may be, you can watch it at, at any level of, and more importantly, like college basketball, not so much the pros because they got 82 nights and I get that, you know? Um, but at the professional level, uh, you're, you're in a game and, and you're down, you're down eight with two minutes left and now you need to press and you haven't pressed the entire game and you're not very good at it because you, you haven't done it. I've always wondered, especially with the success of, you know, again, his, his personal, 
decision making aside, you know, like a Rick Patino or uh, the legend when we were kids in Iowa, Dr. Tom Davis or Gary Williams or whatever it may be. Um, why not sprinkle in some pressure looks and things like that throughout the game so that if slash win you're going to need that you've got some reps maybe maybe it's just off of a, a, off of a couple free throws or just you know what guys for for two minutes no matter what happens come hell or high water we're running our two two one here you know or mm-hmm. whatever it may be that that's always something that has flummoxed me um you know what do you, you think know, the other thing too with that you know like you're talking the collegiate game you got a shot clock you know your press doesn't have to be a steel press your press can be hey it took you seven eight seconds to get it across half court you're still going to take another five, six, seven seconds to get into your offense. Now your clock is a lot less, and you're having to run maybe a little bit more of a quick hitter. Mm-hmm. And if you're more of a pattern continuity team that runs 25 seconds off the shot clock, you're in trouble here. And so yeah. I agree, just something different with the press. You know, like you said, Rick Pitino had a lot of success, whether it was at Kentucky or Louisville, Dr. Tom, you know, at Iowa, Boston College, whatever the case may be. Um, it just surprises me that more coaches don't have that wrinkle. Yeah, and and again, just just in case you you need it, you know, do a little zigging while everybody else is zagging, you know, as mm-hmm. well. You know, um, why why was, for example, Oregon ten years ago? Why were they so successful? Because nobody did what they did. Um, and you and you were prepared for it once every eleven or twelve weeks, you know, whatever, however many regular season games they play. Well, now you're seeing that eight or nine times, and so you get much better at defending it or going against it, you know. And and I, I just think there's something to be said to to thinking outside the box. And you look around your league, and yeah, you're you're, you're limited by your personnel and and what your kids can and can't do. And I totally understand that, but find something within your repertoire, either on the offensive end or the defensive end or in your special teams that nobody else is doing and get really good at that to make, to, to, to give yourself that advantage. If you're an average team, can you steal two or three wins a year and go from, from 11 and 11 to 14 and eight by, by just doing something a little janky that nobody else does and doing it extremely well. Does that make sense, Tony? It makes a ton of sense because if we break it down at the division one level, it's probably going to come down to a handful of possessions almost every game. Yeah. You know, whether you're a Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12, whatever. And so if for a handful of possessions, like you said, you do something that nobody else does. That they, you know, hey, we're going to try to replicate this in practice. Well, you can't replicate it in practice. Because your scout guys aren't the same level as the starters or whoever. Mm-hmm. And so if you could just do something a little bit different, you might steal those five possessions. The next thing you know, you might, like you were talking about, you go from an 8-9 win team now you're the 15, 16 win team, and you know your your thought about your season changes dramatically. Yeah, yeah, and you can do that at the high school level as well. I, I firmly believe that. You know, I really, really do. So, um, uh, you know, that's why we're smart guys, I guess. I don't know. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. There would be a lot of people that would argue I'm not very smart. So, I uh, whatever. So, uh, I think a lot more would argue that you're smart. I'm not smart. <laughs> you know, you take a look at your career, you you. Did a great job, no doubt about that. I mean, the number of times you went to the state tournament and the teams that you pushed, whether it was South Stewart or whoever, um, you know, you, you did a fantastic job, no doubt about that. Al, I, I appreciate it. You know, um, we uh, we we tried to get everything that we could out of the kids, and um, you know, we had a lot of really 
really good kids. And, and at the school that I teach at, we, we've got we've got really good kids from top to bottom, you know. And and so that makes that makes the job easier as well too. So I, I appreciate that though, buddy. I, I really do. So, um, what uh, what were some unique traditions that that you used to do at uh, Walnut Ridge or you know all the way to all the way to Kennedy there? What were some unique things that 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 were uniquely Tony Viss? You know, we did we did a couple things. Um, one, we was called Positive Note over Christmas, and so what would happen? We did them you know, a big poster board or whatever, and they could, you know, write their name on it, decorate it how they wanted to or whatever. And then we would set up like an assembly line. And what would happen is your teammates had to write something positive about you. And it had to be deeper than, you know, hey, I, I, that one practice you wore Miss Mass Sock, that was hilarious. I mean, it, had to be, <laughs> it had to be deeper than that. It had to be something meaningful. And I never really knew how much that meant. And then you start to get some different invites to graduation, open houses. The next thing you know, there are their positive notes being displayed at the graduation open house, like, wow. You know, and so that was something that, that I wanted to make sure that we did. And I tried to write on there as well, you know, as far as the, just from the coaching side of it, because their teammates had mean a lot, probably more so than me. But I wanted to make sure as well that they got something from me about what I appreciated about them as well. And then another one that we would do, you know, we were talking earlier about the, the dog days or the, the January blues or whatever. Um, we usually had like a, a week or a day built in that we wouldn't play. So normally you play Tuesday, Friday or whatever. So for whatever reason, they kept the Tuesday open, maybe just in case weather, which happens all the time in Iowa, Nebraska. Sure. And so if we didn't have that filled with the makeup day, we would have what we call a mental health day. And I would let them tick. So we might play dodgeball or we might play kickball or we might play whatever. But we would just do something one day out of the season in January to break up that monotony. Of something different, you know, and, and some of the memories that I have, you know, playing dodgeball with the kids and different things like that, or playing kickball, and you just got, you know, they, they could take the, the dodgeballs or whatever and try to go you know, after you, and, you know, make you get out a little frustration, or whatever <laughs> the case may be. But those, those are some things that we try to do um, that I think help through the years. Did you show a tape of Billy Madison before he stepped out onto the court? Did not show any Kelly Madison. You know, maybe that was one we should have. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, that's uh, no, that's that's really good. Uh, we we tried to have like a surprise day every year, and I kind of talked about that on one of the Foundation Fridays a week or two ago about mm-hmm. keeping things fresh. And and there's a lot of different ways you could do. It. I mean, one you know, one year it was really really simple where we just went down to my room, parents put together a bunch of snacks, and we watched like a we watched the thirty for thirty on Hank Gathers, and and kind of like kind of the emphasis was. Uh, you know, this is how precious, and I mean, that's an extreme example of, of things, you know, somebody died playing basketball and I get that, but, uh, uh, but just how, you know, how, how precious every day is and how things can change so quickly. And, uh, you know, but, and then we, you know, one year we went as big as we, we rented out a room at Dave and Buster's and just let them rip with the, with the nacho bar and got them each like a $10, uh, card to go play video games and and stuff like that you know so there's there's a lot of different ways and so so those of you listening to this i believe that was foundation friday number 16 keeping things fresh so check check the uh check the uh podcast feed and with all credit given to tony Viss to to remind me about that one so um uh weight room 
weight room. Uh, that was one of the things, and, and we haven't had a lot of coaches. Uh, I don't know if we've had anybody that has has on the survey that I sent you said that they would mm-hmm. talk that they wanted to talk about the weight room. I don't know if, for whatever reason, but uh, what uh, you know, you marked it down, so I want to talk to you about it. Um, you know, what's kind of been your experiences? What What are some suggestions that you have for coaches when it comes to weight room or even plyometrics or uh, explosive? Uh, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, when, we, when we came to Kennedy, I, I get you know, it's a school of 1,800 students and has resources and stuff like that. But we have a, we have a strength and conditioning coach. Uh, Tim Lewis is his name. Um, he's, in my opinion, again, I'm probably biased on this, but he's the best in the state of Iowa. Everybody's heard of Coach Doyle at Iowa and stuff like that. Um, our head coach, John McCallum, went to go call, talk to Coach Doyle. Like, I'm not really sure why you're here because you have the best strength and conditioning guy in Iowa. And so Tim Lewis is his name. And so when we came um, just talking with him as far as how to set things up. And so uh, we have what's called performance PE, and they have that during the school day. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to be doing plyometrics. They're going to be lifting and stuff like that. And our period is about 50-some minutes long. And so Tim has a design, you know, for kids out of season, for kids in season, you know, the specific uh, things, the exercise and stuff, or your particular sport that you want to emphasize. And so he just hammers that really, really well. The kids understand it because sometimes what happens with, with a few of our older kids, not all of them, but a few of our older kids, their schedule might not add up so they can take a performance PE. They might be in a regular PE class. And so what would happen on those late practices, if you weren't in performance PE, I would open the weight room up for, you know, two, three, four kids that wouldn't happen to be in that. And I really didn't have a lot. He would give me the, the thing they would have to fill out. So I would hand them what they needs to be working on. And then they, he had trained them so well on the list and everything that basically all I did was have to open up the weight room, turn on the music, joke around with them a little bit, and, and away they would go. But they mm-hmm. knew exactly what to do. And he just did a phenomenal job of when they were out of season trying to make gains, when they were in season maintaining and not wearing them down. And uh, if I had kids, hey, coach, you know, I'm a little bit sore right now. I could go and talk with them, and he would adjust the program. No, no worries. Mm-hmm. What were uh, some of the unique things that he did within the program that uh, folks could pick up on a little bit, Tony? Yeah, uh, he did a lot of stuff with the, the elastic bands, uh, some of those things. Um, you know, he would do, they just added this component the last two or three years, uh, speed training with them as well. Um, mm-hmm. He's very, very much into Olympic lifts as far as things, making sure, you know, that you're working on the core, you know, with the Olympic lifts to a multiple you know, actions and stuff like that. Um, and then the neat thing was, uh, Greg, Greg Bodensteiner, who coaches at Waverly Shuttle Rock, he sent me an email one time and said, hey, I'm really struggling with, with weight. Can you help me here? And so I forwarded him on to Tim, and Tim walked him through it, gave him the stuff that he had. And then Tim also gets me nutrition with him as well. And uh, mm-hmm. when we would have our preseason meeting for basketball, I didn't do it every year because you don't want the same thing all the time. But we brought him in a couple times where he would come in and talk about um, nutrition with them and had like his scale and what he would share and stuff with them. And um, he just does a great job with it. And his, uh, it's kind of neat because the kid that I replaced as a sophomore head coach, he fell under Tim's tutelage and now he's an assistant strength and conditioning guy at Iowa under Coach Doyle. And so it's just kind of a small world and neat how that's, that's worked its way through. Did you, uh, do you guys talk about like sleep with your kids? Yeah, um, we did, but that was probably more of a Coach McCowan thing than what it was with, with Tim. 
Um, there's different apps, you know, and I have an old phone, probably only me and, you know, some, some warlords now to have the same phone. I think I'm an old phone, but I guess I'm the iPhone, the smartphone. Um, they've got apps and things that can track your sleep and different things and see what type of sleep you're getting and different things like that. But I know um, at the, the collegiate level, they really hammer the, the sleep thing home. And it's been interesting just kind of researching that on Twitter and online and stuff that a lot of people tell you the number one factor for a kid in terms of their performance is their sleep. Yeah. Uh, are you, uh, are you like sending text messages to Zach Morris on a similar phone? Yeah, they probably are very, very similar. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you had to do weight training because you threw out your back picking up your cell phone. That is true. That is true. It, you know, the kids make fun of me. And so, you know, we allow them, they've got Chromebooks now because everybody hates technology and different things like that. I'm like, you know, prefer that you don't use your phone. I kind of show them my phone. We have a couple of laughs out that, the type of phone that I have. And then after that, you know, we, we, we you know, have that where they'll poke fun at it and just a conversation starter. <laughs> conversation starter. Like, uh, what was it like in the olden days, Mr. Viss? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the rotary phone and different things like that. <laughs> really long cord. Yeah. Uh, you remember on the uh, the old cable TV box where you had to actually like punch the buttons with the little lever on the side, you know? Yeah. Um, I have a in my sports history class we we talk about like the influence of cable TV on sports and in that lecture uh, I have a picture of that that old cable box with the with the twelve buttons and the the, the lever that you moved it to the three levels, you know? And uh-huh. and I ask the kids, I go, do any of you know what this is? Not a one. Not a one. You know, and, and every and it's just it's just fascinating to me. Whereas, like, you know, that's that's how we communicated with the outside world back in back in the Reagan era. You know, so uh, that's a that's that's good stuff. So um, social media, Tony. If uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, if anybody wants to do a poll on Twitter, how would they find? How would they find Tony Viss? It, on Twitter is at Tony Davis. Yep, and so I, I do I do a few polls. I'm known for my polls, um, but that's probably about as big as social media big as I do. My my oldest daughter, uh, Brianna, was the one that introduced me to Twitter, and then when they came out with the whole poll thing, I was like, I am in heaven here. So yeah, I, I do a few polls. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Hey, that's okay. It it, it it's <laughs> I I voted on a few of those polls, you know, so. <laughs> Uh, I, I try to throw my two cents worth in every once in a while. So, uh, and uh, it's it's always interesting what you're able to come up with. You, uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting stuff. So, um, you'll you'll have uh, what's the what's the most people you've ever had uh, participate in one of your polls on Twitter? If I remember right, I can't remember. It was two hundred or three hundred uh, votes on, and I actually stole it from Bad Street, who is the head coach at Mount Air. Um, I think one of his former players put out that what's your favorite appetizer? It's like blooming onions, and then you have the bread at Texas Roadhouse, uh-huh. stuff like that. And my principal at Kennedy also retweeted it. So yeah, I had like I want to say two or three hundred people voted on that one. So it wasn't even a sports poll, but yeah, it was it was a fun one. Oh, that's good. Uh, instead of calling you Tony Viss, we're gonna start calling you Tony Gallup or something like that. So. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, you can retire from teaching. You know, uh, you, you missed your window. You're going to have to wait another uh, three years to get involved with the next uh, caucus, you know, uh, in Iowa there, over in eastern Iowa. So, um, you know, you can do that as a part-time gig as well. 
you know, after the fiasco of the Iowa caucus, I don't know if we'll have it. <laughs> I have a feeling they might be making some big changes on that. You think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a chance. So you read on CNN that I was embarrassed. That's 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 not a good thing. No, not not which, and and it's kind of hard for for people not from Iowa. I have a couple brother in laws that are not native uh, Midwesterners. Uh, it's kind of hard to convince them the um, uh, of the you know that this is not just you know. Uh, deliverance country, you know, type of a thing, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're not playing banjos and, and, and stuff like that, you know, uh, and, and so, um, yeah, I, you know, the Hawkeye state kind of kicked the can down the road on that one, uh, this week. So, so, well, Hey Tony, it has been awesome catching up you, uh, here with you, uh, officially recording this, uh, you know, wishing nothing but the best, um, you know, at some point, I I encourage you just as a as a friend. Uh, I know you well enough that that you're going to want to be in charge of something again. And I and I and I know that you want to. Um, I know you want to end things better than what you uh, what you did at Kennedy. And you're gonna you're gonna take this downtime. You're gonna not downtime, but not being a head coach time. And uh, you know, turn it into a real positive thing, and and I I think you're going to come back bigger and better and stronger and better than ever. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're joking about our age, but we're both far too young, uh, and we're too good at what we do um, to not get back into this at some point and 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 be the leaders that we can be. And um, so you know, you got to do it when it's right for you, just like I got to do it when it's right for me. And you got to find the right situation. But I, I know you're going to be back. And and you're going to do a hell of a job. Boy, I appreciate that. You know, uh, earlier when you're talking about, you know, we don't talk as much as we do, well, we probably should. And I would agree with that. But I think sign of a great friend is that whenever we do talk, we pick back up where we left off. And, you know, you're one of my really good friends in coaching. I think the world of you and Carla and your family and uh, what, what you're doing here. I don't I don't know if you you realize the impact you have uh, as far as the pen and the napkin. You know, I, I look forward to the people that you've had on, listening to it, your quotes, your things that you drop. And if there are young coaches out there that are missing out on a resource, they are missing out on something. Uh, it's just, it's, it's gold, it really is. And, you know, when you when you get that opportunity, uh, whoever decides to give you that chance, whether it be high school, college, wherever, um, you know, you'll, you're a great coach. You are an even better person. And uh, look forward to hearing about that, that next adventure that you're going to have here soon. Yeah, well, we'll see where the wind takes us, my friend. We'll see where the wind takes us. So, uh, Tony, thanks so much for coming on here. Uh, if you hold the line for a minute, i got to wrap up a couple things, and, and we'll roll from there. But, uh, again, Tony, thanks for everything. Uh, feel free to forward this on uh, to to anybody and everybody that uh, that you think will, will, will get something from it. So um, I appreciate the kind words. So um, Tony Biss from Cedar Rapids Kennedy. Um, one of the best guys you're ever going to find. So uh, we want to thank uh, COSAC Chiropractic for sponsoring the pod. Uh, if you're in need of chiropractic services, Tony, if you ever throw your back out while you're over here in Omaha, call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi. They'll help you out. 402-964-0300. Again, follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Uh, download it and rate or review, pass the, the podcast on to anybody or everybody that you think would get something out of this, even if it's just a little bit. Uh, and then email us at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. 
Coaches, as always, continue to hone your craft one day at a time.